Hi guys, welcome back to episode two of Casual Watch Talk. This is a podcast from the Casual Watch Reviewer YouTube channel. This is episode two. If you've not listened to episode one, we covered everything to do with Amiga Speedmaster, the Apollo 11 there. If you're not familiar with me, I'm Sam. Uh, I run the Casual Watch Reviewer YouTube channel. Uh, I cover all topics of horology. Uh, I had a number of people express interest in me doing an audio version so you guys can listen in your car. Uh, This uh, podcast is now available on Spotify and all of your other favorite podcasting apps. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll leave the link down below. And if you're listening on Spotify, welcome. This week, I wanted to cover two topics. Uh, I had my Amiga Speedmaster recently serviced, so I'm going to talk a bit about that. And also, I have a special guest on uh, called Steve, who is going to talk us through what the process is like for buying and selling watches on forums. Now, admittedly, this is something I've never done. I typically buy and sell watches on eBay. Uh, So I know uh, I have experience with that, but I've never had experiences with buying watches on forums. So I'd just like to say a big thanks to SD for joining me. Hey, how's it going, Sam? I guess a good first question would be, let's, uh, we'll start talking about the forums. Um, My kind of history with buying watches online, my Amiga I bought on eBay, my, uh, and a lot of watches I've bought and sold on eBay. And I've usually have good experience with them. From a seller's point of view, though, it is so expensive, I think, nowadays, sell on eBay. You lose like 10%. And then, you know, you take another hit on PayPal, which seems to be almost like the de facto kind of method of payment. Yes, uh, the advantages are definitely that it opens you up to, uh, you know, the entire world. You can sell your watch to, you know, most countries. And also, you know, PayPal, you have that that security in mind and things like that. But one thing that I've always wondered about was this process of buying watches particularly on specialist watch forums um so i'm I'm really interested to kind of learn a bit about how the process works and kind of your experience because i understand you've done quite a lot of this uh in the past buying and selling on on watch forums i think i really got interested in um collecting watches maybe about 15 years ago and i i know i've been on your on your youtube channel before and and talked about it a little bit um, but, um, you know, I think it was maybe around 10 years ago, uh, or, or maybe just over that, where I really started to get involved on, on one of the prominent watch forums. I'm not going to name names, but um, uh, I just thought it was a good resource, not only for information, but there's a lot of uh, like-minded uh, persons on the watch forums that were interested in similar types of watches as me. So, uh, you know, I, initially I kind of came there to 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 learn um, about more information about either watches that I owned or watches that I was interested in, and then naturally, I think anyone um, you know sort of gravitates to the to the uh, sales form just to kind of see you know okay uh, you know what's what's for sale currently, what are the prices going for, um, you know is there something here that I'm interested in uh, that I don't have already? Is there something that might pop up that I've never seen before? So you know there's a bit of excitement with it. Um, I think one of the things that really drew me to the uh, buying and selling on the forums is just because uh, it is a small group. I, I do feel like it's it's actually relatively safe. Now, um, 
you know, I'm not going to say that it's, it's 100% foolproof. There are definitely people on there who are scammers, but by and large, most of the people that you encounter on there are, um, are collectors themselves. Uh, you know, it's sort of a um, situation where everyone sort of polices themselves. And, and uh, if you have a good, good uh, transaction with the buyer or seller, you can, you can post your feedback uh, post sale on a lot of these forms uh, to let people know that you're a trustworthy buyer or trustworthy seller i mean really that was sort of the intention with ebay i think when it first started was just to establish that uh you know that you're someone who could be trusted and uh and, and reliable and so that's something that i always look for when I'm, I'm buying and selling on there and uh i feel like it's been a great experience overall i i prefer it over ebay just because uh as you previously mentioned um you know, there there are a lot of fees associated with eBay. Um, I, I feel like um, it's maybe not as safe as eBay. eBay is probably the safest way to go because there's a lot of safeguards for um, for buyers. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like if you kind of get the hang of what you're doing and you you go through the process a few times, it can be almost as safe as uh, as, say, an eBay. And, um, you know, Using PayPal offers a lot of protection as well for buying and selling. The main method of transacting uh, financially is, would you say it was PayPal or is there other methods that you only see on forums that people use? I've seen a whole range of <laughs> pretty much anything and everything as far as payment goes. So you'll see anything from people, you know, and, and this is quite rare, but you will see occasionally someone who only takes checks. You'll see people accepting Bitcoin. You'll see people, people accepting Venmo or PayPal or even wire transfers. So, so there's really a, a range of, of uh, payment methods. And, uh, you know, I think it's really about what you feel comfortable with. Um, certainly PayPal is not the cheapest option out there, but I feel like for the, for the percentage that they typically charge, which is, which is around 3%, um, it's, it's a good option because a lot of people accept it. It's pretty easy to use. And uh, again, it does offer a lot of safeguards as well. So um, I feel like it it is the the best option, and really for for buying and selling on on watch forms, it's it's uh, I would consider the gold standard in terms of uh, payments. Yeah, and one of the things that I've I know you certainly can't do on eBay, and I've seen people certainly request it on forums is like the straight swap. Have you ever done that? I mean, how does that work? Do you? send it to like a third party or you're really going to have to go on on real faith aren't you that the person's going to send their watch at the same time and then you know what happens if the watch get, one of them gets lost in the post right right yeah and I, I think it's more to the latter um there's there's not really any sort of intermediary in terms of a of a trade and i have completed some trades before um i don't do them a lot just because it, it really I feel like it's really sometimes difficult to to find someone who's looking for the exact same thing as what you're looking for. And, and as you as you noted, there are you know potential risks along with that. Right. So what if one of the watches gets lost in the mail? What if someone you know doesn't ship their, their watch or what if the condition is not as described? So it, it creates all these additional uh, potential pitfalls and, and uh, risks. So um, it's it's not preferred. Uh, certainly, but it's something that I will do occasionally if I feel like I have something that, um, 
you know, maybe is not doing well on the watch form, right? So maybe I've had it listed for a long time and I'm not getting a lot of, a lot of um, uh, uh, bites in terms of, uh, you know, offers. So sometimes, you know, a certain model of watch, if it's really unusual or rare um, and people don't want to pay for it, they might be more open to trading for it, either directly or maybe with a partial trade. And that could be um, cash plus uh, an additional watch or additional watches. So this it raises an interesting subject as well. It sounds like um, on the forums, you're, you're policing yourself. I've certainly seen people when I've had a brief look, offering references saying, you know, you can contact these members or contact the admins to vouch for me. But whenever I've looked, how does a new starter wanting to sell on the forums really get going? Because they're in a a sort of a catch-22 situation, aren't they? They they aren't well known on the forums. Uh, They might not have, uh, you know, references and things like that. So I imagine people are, are wary of them. I know some forums have like a limit where you have to post so many times. Do you think, is is that a good way of doing it if you're a new subscriber, really getting in there and contributing to just like general watch topics so people kind of get an idea of who you are first? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to go about it. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's one of those situations where, um, not always do people have the patience to, let's say, get up to 100 po- posts before they decide they want to list something, right? Let's say you're in the boat where you have a watch today and you want to list it for sale on a watch form. Uh, you know, certain forums where, where it requires you to have this minimum number of posts is, are, are just not going to work out. So you'll see a lot of people um, post posting on Reddit, for example. I don't think Reddit has any sort of uh, minimum requirement for posting. So, you know, on, on one hand, it's really good if you're um, just trying to get into it and, and get your get your toes wet in terms of uh, buying and selling. On the other hand, you know, you look at it from a risk standpoint and, and the fact that anyone can can pretty much post on there. Um, uh, it, it does create an, an additional amount of risk. So I think it's really a matter of what you feel comfortable with as, as far as risk goes. You know, are you okay with with posting on a forum that doesn't have any sort of minimum requirements and taking that chance, or would you rather prefer to be on a more established forum where there are those minimum guidelines? Do you do you have rules for yourself where you won't you have like a mental kind of threshold where you won't buy a watch on a forum that's over X amount of money, or you won't buy from uh, people that don't have references or anything like that? Do you have your own kind of set of rules that you work off? Definitely. Um, and I, I feel like I'm extremely conservative in terms of buying and selling. So I think when I first got started, I was a lot more lax. The more that I've done it, I feel like the, the more um, uh, particular I've gotten in terms of uh, looking for credentials from buyers and sellers. I, I want to know that the person I'm working with has already completed X number of, of positive transactions. And if they haven't, even if it's a good offer, Sometimes I've even gotten offers that were above what I'm asking, but they didn't have good references. And I would rather be safe uh, and and get maybe a little bit less money um, from an established member than get you know more money from someone who's unestablished and may try and scam me. So um, you know, again, everyone has their own preferences for this, and uh, that's that's what I feel comfortable with for now. But it wasn't always that way. 
yeah, this is one of the things that, I, that well, a couple of things, uh, maybe myths around the, the forum, certainly things that I think about them. First being, because on eBay, you're always factoring in that 10%. So I'm wondering whether you can get kind of a better deal on a forum um, you know, than you would do on eBay. So that's the first question. The second question is, a forum, if you've got a very particular watch that you're looking for, is it? I imagine the forums are better for finding very specific or very unique references. Is is that a myth, or or would you say that was what was true as well? Well, I I think I think you, you you're on to something. Um, so you know certainly um, one of the things that's nice about the forums is that the the, the uh, types of watches are a little bit more focused in terms of what's popular right now, whereas eBay is just a total mix of everything, right? Um, you know, in terms of getting uh, value, sometimes I think eBay can can be a much better value than a forum. So, for example, I, I just recently acquired um, a Breitling uh, Chronograph uh, that was listed on the forum for X number of dollars. Let's let's say it was uh, three thousand dollars, and um, you know the the seller wasn't able to um, get their price, and so they ended up listing it on eBay on a um, either a low reserve or a no reserve auction. And I ended up winning the bid. And I think I uh, won it for maybe one third of the price that it was going for on the watch form. So, you know, eBay is definitely a, a, a great resource. And, and I try not to limit myself to any one thing. So I'm always looking at eBay. I'm always looking at watch forms. You know, I also look at things like Chrono 24, which I know you've had some experience with in the past. I think you just kind of have to mix and match and, and see what's, what's really best for you. Um, you know, certainly if you're selling, you're going to get more money if you're doing so on a watch form because there's fewer fees associated, sometimes no fees associated, except for what you um, are getting charged for with PayPal. With eBay, there are more fees associated, but you also have a broader reach in terms of the audience. So a watch form, for example, let's say it's got a 100 post minimum and maybe there's 3000 users. I mean, that's that's going to be the limit of what you're going to be able to reach. But with eBay, I mean, you're talking about millions of people potentially over countless countries. And so, um, you know, there's always a possibility that you're going to get more money on eBay. So uh, it, it really just it really just varies. I wouldn't say there's ever one perfect uh, uh, silver bullet solution. I've never thought of this before, but as we've been having this conversation, I suppose if you are buying on eBay, yeah, the fees might be more, but I imagine there's a greater chance on eBay of finding somebody, finding a bargain on a watch because somebody doesn't really know what it is. Whereas on a forum, you know, you've got watch collectors who really know what the watches are and what they're worth. So I wonder whether whether uh, that might be an advantage to eBay that I hadn't really really considered before yeah no totally and and uh you know one of the forums that i first got started uh with was um i, I first started collecting seiko uh vintage seiko watches because there's a ton of variation they're not too expensive and and uh you know it's easy to find parts for them and and uh, uh so you know i see stories all the time on some of the the seiko forums where people are are finding these amazing deals on ebay because maybe something wasn't listed properly um and and yeah if it was on a watch forum then uh it, it likely would have gotten scooped up or the person selling it 
you know, most likely would have been more knowledgeable and uh, listed it at a higher price. But yeah, that's that's one of the advantages of eBay, right? Is, you know, oftentimes you can't find good deals, um, but it, it really helps to, to know what you're looking for, um, to, to look at it constantly and, and to really sort of set your, your price of what your, your maximum is that you, that you want to be able to spend. I, I think that that Breitling I just got is a perfect example. I mean, I, I got a, a really great deal on it compared to the watch forum. And- yeah, that's one of the things with them. Um, that's one of the pros, the big pros and cons of, of eBay. I think I remember when I was, my, my when my grandfather passed away a few years ago and he, he'd kept hold things um, that were very special to him that he uh, he imagined were worth a, worth a fortune. Uh, he thought they were quite rare, not not just watches in particular. In fact, I kept all the all the watches that he had. But it was funny that um, you go on eBay now, and you know, for years, you know, when I was growing up, and there was all these antiques shows on TV, and you know, somebody would have a rare one, and they'd say, "Wow, this is you know, there's only twenty of these in the world." The funny thing with eBay now is that there might only be twenty of the this vase in the entire world but you can guarantee when you list yours that there's at least 15 of them already on there so yeah, it kind of, it, it, there's not this kind of like in the shadows thing anymore where you've just got antiques dealers that are setting the prices for things these rare items it seems now on ebay that you know you've got choice no matter how really rare the watches i know i've looked for some really obscure watches on on ebay and you know, oftentimes you'll find, you know, one or two. I think I only ever sold one watch on eBay where it was it was the only one that was on there. Uh, so it that's um, that's always the fun thing with with eBay. So yeah, unfortunately, when we uh, when we liquidated some of my granddad's house, a lot of these uh, treasures ended up being, um, you know, not not as valuable as he thought. In fact, right. the two things that that completely took me by surprise one was a, a what I didn't realize was a very early uh, Gillette safety razor that had um, a kind of a turn knob on it that that reduced the um, the guard on the razor, and that was made of like sterling silver. Uh, and wow. that, yeah, that sold to a guy in Turkey for far more than what I thought it was going to be. And then the other the other thing that took me by surprise was a a, a, a Gulf Oil uh, can that was just in the in the garage. Uh, it was covered in all sorts of you know rubbish and stuff and. I put it on eBay and somebody in Australia hooked it up for like, you know, $50 or something. So those were the two wow. surprises uh, amongst uh, a few things that were a bit of a... Wow, that's amazing. A bit of a letdown. Um, that's really interesting. One thing we you mentioned and uh, we have not covered yet is Chrono 24, which is really its own thing. I have an experience on Chrono 24. For anyone that's listening to this that's not familiar with Chrono 24, I guess they're one of the largest uh resources for or, or trusted resources maybe um where you for for vintage watches new sorry i should say not vintage new and old they've got a great way of searching for watches actually you can get very precise on models that you're looking for and they have a kind of a an escrow type service um now the fees you they are high but you pay them up front it's not a a decreasing uh you know it's it's not like a kind of a shock after the fact have you had experience on on chrono 24 would you is that one that you would rate point chrono 24 charged fees to both buyers and sellers 
So even if you were buying a watch, which is a little bit unusual, even if you're buying a watch, Chrono 24 would charge you a fee to buy that watch, which is totally different from eBay. You know, the seller always gets hit hit with the with the the sales fees on that. And I feel like over the past, I don't know, a couple of years that changed. And now I think it's a more traditional format, similar to, to eBay, where um, uh, the seller pays all the fees. And correct me if I'm wrong on that, because I, I think he sold a watch on there. Is that right? Yeah, I did end up paying the fees to start with. So you put in the cost that you want for the watch, and then they work out the fee, and that's what you pay. I listed a watch for, um, let's say, uh, $1,000, I think it was. It was a Hamilton X-Patrol. And I think I ended up selling it for like 700 but I had to pay the fee on 1000 I've got it in my mind that it was around $70 to do it, uh-huh. um, which I, kind of weighing it up that that might have been closer to 100 on eBay, um, you know, because they take like a 10%. Plus, there's this, the escrow service, which doesn't cost me anything to do the escrow service. But you're right. I think you do pay as a as a buyer. I'm not sure if that changed. Admittedly, it's been a couple of years since I sold on there. I have not ever bought a watch on Chrono 24, so I've not had that experience. Yeah, and and I I purchased two um, on there, and um, you know both were pretty painless experiences. So um, you're right about the escrow part. So there is a, an escrow that you. When you purchase something, you make a payment, and um, I, you know I think that Chrono Twenty Four holds the, the the funds in escrow, and then once the seller ships them, I believe I, I could be wrong in this, but I believe that they release the funds once the uh, the, the seller ships, and it was a pretty pretty uh, painless process from from a buying standpoint, and you know I still use it today. Um, it's it's another good resource for for. Um, you know, locating hard to find models. Um, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting about Chrono 24 is it definitely skews more to an international crowd. Oh, you see a lot more uh, sellers and buyers who are from Europe, who are from Asia on Chrono 24 than I would say, you know, your your typical um, North American watch form. Yeah, that that's another thing that was interesting to me. I, I've lived in the US for coming up to four years now and one of the things that i was surprised about was that posting things uh from the u.s to other countries is is very expensive in comparison to um you're certainly in the uk if you're selling things by royal mail i don't know this exactly but i feel like it's maybe a third of the price even with the insurance and stuff so that was something that when i first sold a watch that was something that i I hadn't factored in that it would be a lot more expensive to post from the u.s having said that you know there's a significantly more country to cover to um right sure but um yeah that that was kind of interesting and then i'll just mention um the the other the other way of selling your watch of course is um they're not a sponsor of the show but they are certainly a friend of the show and that's the guys over at uh at bob's watches who uh put up with me uh at least once a month going in there and kind of like a kid in a candy store they allow me to film their watches so all of the nice watches that have been on the channel the the rolexes and things like that have usually been lent to me by bob's watches and they they have a quite a good process where 
when you're buying from them, typically it's, it's vintage Rolexes. They have a watchmaker. They have uh, watch evaluers that are there, and they they take in a watch. They do all of the the checking over, the authenticating of it. They clean it. They have a you know Rolex specialist that work there, and also you can sell to them as well. If you're just a kind of person that does have a very expensive watch and you want somebody else to really sell it for you, you just you know you want the money quicker. That those are good options as well. I mean, uh, Bob's is the one that I'm most familiar with, but by by no means is not the the only one out there. So. That's definitely worth a mention if you if you know if you're not ready for eBay if you do have a valuable watch that you're trying to uh, you know uh, trying to move on and you don't really want to be done with the hassle. Right, and and uh, just to add on to that, I mean, and, you know, I, I definitely don't don't think you can discount either authorized dealers or or even like a, a third party um, a vendor like you know Bob's watches or or you know many of the other um, uh, third party um, watch dealers out there because. You know, I, I think that um, they are they can be extremely valuable, right? Let's let's say if you are buying your first Rolex, you want to make sure everything is perfect with that watch. It's been serviced recently. You want to make sure that all the numbers match up and that the watch is in in a great condition and, and is you know basically going to be perfect for you. I mean, that's that is a great resource for that type of buying. And, you know, especially on a, on a thing like a Rolex where you're not going to see a real huge difference in terms of, you know, what a forum is going to sell it for or what eBay is going to sell it for. You know, I, I think you have to keep your options open and, and really uh, look around and, and see what's available. But, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, authorized dealers and, and uh, third party sellers are are um, are fantastic options as well. So. You know, you just kind of have to weigh the pros and cons. You know, maybe you do pay a little bit more, but maybe you get an in-house warranty with that, and you know, you get the peace of mind. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, definitely an option I've considered. It's definitely an option I've used before as well. So, yeah, you've you've got that physical location you can take it back to, and and uh, since we're talking about Rolex, you know, if you've had a Rolex for you know five years or ten years, you know, you're going to get significantly more than what you paid for it that you know even 10 years ago now uh, and some of the models you just can't get at the moment and and secondhand really is for for a lot of people the only real option if you're interested in you know a submariner or something like that you're going to really struggle or a daytona you know secondhand or or pre-owned i should say is i think is the is the correct term that they use <laughs> is uh, is the only way to go really well that was that was really interesting um the the whole discussion of forums it's something i I'm, I'm familiar with but i certainly have never bought and sold on it so hopefully it's an interesting subject to uh, everyone listening to this and it, it gives you a bit more information about it so for the second part of this we wanted to discuss my recent experience with having my amiga serviced uh, an amiga store and then also uh steve who has a lot more experience of getting new and vintage watches service is going to share a bit of his kind of experiences of that process as well i'll guess i'll kick it off if that's okay with you steve and talk a bit about my my amiga yeah Uh, i've covered this on the youtube channel uh if you uh, it was a recent upload if you just search for um you know servicing omega speedmaster on the channel the link is in is going to be in the description of this podcast here i 
I have a, an Amiga that uh, I thought was 27 years old, but somebody has has informed me today in the comment section that I it might be a little bit younger and might be nearer 1996 than 1992, which I believed it was. But I've certainly owned it since 2007. It's a, a beautiful um, Calibre 1863 Speedmaster. It has the Hesselite on the front sapphire on the back and for a long time this was my daily wear watch longer than i've ever sort of been a watch collector i think it was the watch as a kid i i always loved the the association with the moon and the nasa just the romance around that it was i, I knew that when i had the money i would buy one and i and tying it into our earlier conversation i bought this off ebay and um I, I, I bought it with a severance from a job, actually. I thought, well, what am I going to do with this money? And I thought, you know what? I've always wanted that watch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this. So for, you know, 10 or so years, it was my daily wear. And then over, then I started really getting into watches. And it really, it also, a, a few things had gone wrong with it. Now, admittedly, these were totally my fault, the things that had gone wrong with it. What? I broke the the clasp, the pin on the clasp, so I ended up fixing the the clasp with a with a paper clip, and I cover this in my video, so you'll see that. Um, but because the clasp broke, um, I ended up dropping it on a tiled surface, and it was one of those things where the watch kind of fell in slow motion and hit the tiled surface. And testament to the quality of Omega, the the watch itself didn't damage, but the Hesselite cracked. And I show this on one of my other videos, but that Hesselite is so thick. I mean, it's amazing that I managed to crack it, really. But the watch was okay. I had the Hesselite replaced by an independent watchmaker, and he did a well. He did an okay job of it, but he left like a little bit of dust under the 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 Hesselite. So I took it back to him, and I think it, during that process, he'd left one of the screws slightly loose inside. So for a long time. There was a kind of a screw inside, and I didn't realize until it it kind of interfered with the chronograph pusher. And when I pressed it, it interfered with it, and you could because it's got the transparent case back, you could see the screw kind of inside. So then I got totally paranoid about the watch, so I I just stored it. And then when I moved over to the US, uh, you know, four or so years ago, um, I took it to a watchmaker who then replaced the screw. And then as I got more into watches and I was buying and selling different watches, I realized that my my passion for watches and, and my favorite watch was still my Speedmaster. Uh, so I guess I decided, um, I, I did a video called Amiga Speedmaster 10 Years on the Wrist where I talk about a lot of the things I've just, just discussed now. And um, I guess a couple of months ago, uh, you know, you get a... In in the US, you you get a tax return. You you have to do a tax return, and you you end up getting a little bit of money back. And it's it it's cool. It's a pain in the ass totally to do the tax return, but uh, which is something we don't do in the UK. But it does mean that you get like a little bit of a bonus. And I'm sure they work that out somehow. So they kind of put the effort you put into the tax return. You kind of get like a little reward. I could be wrong. It could be a conspiracy theory, but um, <laughs> that's my view. And I decided, look, it's it's about time now. I need to get it serviced. And I priced up going to a couple of independent watch places. And I I decided just kind of on a whim that the local mall tours has a, 
a boutique. So this next bit is really going to be about my experience. But uh, Steve, have you? I know you've had Speedmasters in the past. Have you ever had them them serviced? Yeah. So um, and and not uh, with great results. So so I I purchased a um, Speedmaster that I bought was a um, Speedmaster Mark four point five, which is a um, which is one of the the last um, uh, you know those kind of chunky barrel cased automatic Speedmasters with the Lamania 5100 movement in it. And, uh, you know, I bought this thing used and it looked awesome, but there was some sort of an issue with the movement holder and, um, you know, it was kind of rubbing up against the back of the case. And so, it was, you know, it was noisy. And I brought it to my watchmaker who had never worked on a Lamania 5100 movement before. So it sat with him for about six months. And ultimately, I just ended up selling it to another watchmaker and just said, you know what, this is just too much trouble. I tried looking around to find uh, other other um, watchmakers locally who could work on it. And, you know, I, you know, it's not like I live in the middle of the country. I live in, in Austin, Texas, which is, you know, pretty, pretty populous place. But, you know, um, finding someone to work on this movement was not easy to do. And uh, it just ended up being a, a, a kind of a negative experience for me. Yeah. So th- this was the couple of things that played uh, played in my head. And mine's not a particularly rare one. Well, the movement certainly isn't. It It's rare in the fact that it's got a Hesalite on the front and Sapphire on the back, which uh, when you think about it is quite a weird thing. Like, why would you have Sapphire on the front and Hesalite on the front? But uh, on the... Um, Hesalite on the front and Sapphire on the back, but hey, it's it, I, I love it all the same. And and this thing did weigh on me, so I took it into the local boutique near me, which is in a mall called um, the South Coast Plaza. Now, this mall is, if you're a watch fan, this mall is incredible. It's It's got almost all major brands are represented, and it's got, I think it might be the only one, or at least one of a very few number of... Um, Lange stores as well so it's got a, a Langenzun store it's got a Patek store in there there's Vacheron a, a large Vacheron store you've got Panerai um Jaeger Lecultre of course uh, Rolex is represented there pretty pretty nice though <laughs> pretty nice selection there oh it's unbelievable I remember last Christmas and in fact I, I posted this if, if you watch my um the the Speedmaster video that I'm talking about now at Christmas, they must have had a five-foot-tall replica of the Lange One working. Um, it was made of plastic, obviously, but this thing was, uh, I guess, maybe it was even taller, maybe it was six-foot. It was, it was incredible. I managed to get, like, a lot of uh, footage of it. So they had a big display there. And then, so I took I took it into the Amiga store. Now, uh, there's only, I've been into this Amiga store, and in fact, it's one of those stores that I don't go in that much, even though, obviously, I'm a huge Amiga fan. I've only ever been in there once where they've kind of, like, welcomed me in. Um, There used to be a guy there, and he noticed my watch, but this store is really, this mall is for, like, you know, uber rich, and, you know, I'm usually at the weekend in, like, jeans and a a T-shirt, so you walk in there, and they never, they never, like, they're not rude, but they never, like, open the doors and start you know talking about you know watches or or anything like that with you very rarely but I, I kind of expected that in fact I had a very funny experience once where I went in there and asking about an Acotera and I kind of went to the guy at the door I was like oh I was just looking at your Acotera and he like opened the door 
like as if to like beckon me out and I, I, I'm sure it was just a misunderstanding but it was hilarious on my part I was kind of like oh that figures that, <laughs> that I'm asking about watching they just open the door I'm sure I'm sure he just misheard me but uh, it was it was funny at the time uh, and so anyway I took it in there and there was kind of uh, they I just asked them about the service and they were like look it's you know $750 so I was like okay well let's go for it and they fill they fill out this um this this form which is still on the old carbon paper which is hilarious I thought they'd have some kind of like high tech kind of iPad but it's a very kind of a manual process uh they fill it fill it out I show this in the in the video that I did as well I actually show the form that they filled out and they say yeah it's going to be 6 to 8 weeks uh $750 and I I asked them, do I pay now? And they're like, no, you pay at the end. So they sent the watch off and I didn't hear anything for a few days. But then the the store emailed me and said they wanted to replace the, the clasp on it, which uh, at the fa- at the time I found quite amusing because I was like, oh, they've, they've found the paperclip. They've kind of caught me out uh, trying to fix the watch with a paperclip. So they said that it would be $59, which... I mean, it's expensive if you think about it, but it's it actually very reasonable because I'd been quoted for this class four well over $100. It was £100 when I went to ask about it before, and hence the reason why the paperclip um, got used on it. And kind of I was thinking, well, what would the astronauts do if they're broke? They'd probably find a paperclip or something on the space station. Absolutely perfect. I kind of got the impression from the email that there wasn't a choice. Like, you, they just said... Can you confirm the extra amount? They didn't kind of give me an option. And I had an idea that I'd heard in the past that their goal when you send it to one of these, one of the watch companies isn't to preserve the watch. It's to bring it as if it's new. So I I knew that they were going to probably replace the hands. I knew that they were going to polish the case and things like that. So and I didn't and I wasn't that bothered about that personally, that the hands hadn't particularly patinaed on mine. It was still, even though it's, you know, over 20 years old, there wasn't any real aging on the loom or anything like that. So then a, a couple of weeks went on and I emailed them just to say, hey, where's it up to? And they're like, well, it's going to be the end of June. And that would have been over the eight weeks. They quoted me kind of six to eight weeks. And then, of course, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, a couple of days after I emailed them, it suddenly shows up on the 5th of June, which was almost eight weeks. Now, they'd sent it to Seattle, so they don't send it to Switzerland. They send it to Seattle. Now, I'm not sure if it, it's an actual Omega like service center in Seattle or whether it's uh, uh, you know an independent watchmaker or an authorized watchmaker that does Omega and other, other brands. Do you know that, Steve? Have you ever heard of... Well, did, did, was there a name? With, for the company that they sent it to? No, somebody suggested a name uh, in the comments section, and it, uh, it begins with an N, I think. But Yeah, is it Nesbitt's, maybe? Yeah, that's what somebody mentioned, but yeah. there isn't anything on the paperwork to allude to that. Yeah, yeah so I, I've, I've heard of them before, and my understanding is they are sort of the North American experts uh, when it comes to uh, these, these manual wind Speedmaster movements. So then um, obviously they called me and I went straight away. Like they called me and I was there within an hour because <laughs> I'd really, really missed my uh, Speedmaster um, far more than I thought, considering that it is essentially had been stored away for, you know, the best part of a year and only bought out on kind of special occasions. And then I went to collect it and I, I've, I've documented this fully in the YouTube uh, video, but they've 
they just did an a, a, an awesome job of it. It even surprised me uh, of how good a job they did with it. I wasn't expecting it to be anywhere near the quality. They they refinished the case. Now the case was very badly scratched even before I got it, which is I think why I, I managed to get quite a good deal on it. Um, I was working it out in the comments section. Somebody asked me this, how much I paid for it. I paid for it £1,500. And at the time, uh, the dollar was nearly two to the one uh, in 2007. So I guess it would have been nearer, you know, just less than $3,000 I paid at the time. The case was was scratched. I had scratched it. Obviously, the Hesselite, you only have to look at it and it, and it scratches. Yeah. There was There was some very, there was dents on the case. The band, uh, the clasp is... It's a, it isn't the one with the pushers. It also isn't the one that was kind of stamped metal. It, it's a very shiny, uh, you know, it's a very shiny clasp. It looks almost like, a, you know, a, a mudguard on a motorbike, something like that on a Harley. It's a very smooth uh, band. So obviously that just scratches like nobody's business. And the way they finished the case was just awesome. And they added that the brushing back on. But they did it in such a way, and I don't know how they do it, but it's the brushing is kind of like, looks like it's long strokes, like like you see on the new Speedmasters. And they replaced the hands and everything. They just did an absolute, uh, they replaced the pushers, they replaced the gasket. The bracelet looks almost brand new. And so initially I was extremely skeptical about investing it's $750 or $800 at the time into it. But I'm I'm really glad that I did it because it's it's like having a new watch. And one of the other things that surprised me, which thankfully people have confirmed in the comment section of that, was I was fully expecting to pay tax on that as well. So I was thinking it was going to be closer to a grand, but apparently you don't. Uh, everything was lumped into a services thing, which apparently in California uh, they don't charge a tax on that, which is you know which is rare for California. They. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, that is rare for California. I think it comes with like a two-year warranty. The only thing that I didn't get back, and maybe you can, maybe you know the answer to this, Steve, but I didn't get any parts, internal parts back. Now, I don't know whether they didn't replace any internal parts. I imagine that they do because somebody's mentioned uh, on the in the comment section of the video that they usually always replace the mainspring. Um, right and the balance spring and i imagine that if they're replacing that that's kind of it comes out as like a long kind of curly piece so maybe that's why they don't include that but any other internal parts they they didn't return back to me i just got the crown the pushes the hands which was nice so i got the original hands back the hesseli and they replaced the pins in the band and also the spring bars and the most important thing is did they give you your paper clip back they did so I got the paperclip back, still strong. I got the original class back, paperclip, <laughs> the paperclip still in there. Uh, that paperclip was in there for God, five or six years. It, it went strong, that that paperclip for sure. But there, I didn't get any internal parts back. So this is the first experience, honestly, that I've had of servicing a watch. Typically, I, I, I buy watches and, and kind of sell them. I don't hold on to them really for any length of time. I know you've had several watches, both new and vintage, uh, serviced. Uh, so, yeah, would you like to spend a few minutes just kind of taking people through that process that might not be familiar with it? And I, the thing I would say, first and foremost, is that good watchmakers are worth their weight in gold. I mean, I, I, I can't I can't emphasize that enough because um, watchmaking is a dying art. 
I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush with that. It, there are not nearly enough watchmakers out there. Mechanical watches are getting more and more popular again, but a lot of these watchmakers are retiring and there's not enough younger people to fix these watches now. And so what you'll encounter, as you noted, um, uh, with your Speedmaster is that, you know, on the short end, you're going to be looking at probably six to eight weeks on the short end. Some places you will find a six month waiting list. Some places you'll find a one year waiting list. Some, some people like uh, Spencer Klein, who, you know, I think recently I looked at, at uh, his website and he's not even taking new watches at all. So that just gives you a sense right now of, of the current situation with watchmakers. There's way more work than there are qualified people to do the work. And so if you can find a good one and they do good work and the wait times are extreme and, um, you know, the, the prices are reasonable, you know, by all means, keep them on your good side. Uh, so that's that's something for me. Uh, you know, I have I have someone who I've used a lot in the past. And, and, you know, I've got a watch sitting with him. It's been sitting with him for over a year and he's still not done with it. And I spoke to him recently in advance of getting this Breitling chronograph and said, Hey, I've got another watch coming. Would you be able to take this on? And he just told me flat out, I have too much work. I can't do it. So lately I've been on the search trying to find someone else to do the work. And, you know, uh, it's kind of similar to your experience. I mean, I feel like the magic number for a mechanical chronograph is is usually somewhere around the seven, seven hundred to one thousand dollar range for service. That uh, that seems to be sort of the magic number if you're looking for someone reputable. Obviously, if it's a, a less complicated watch, you know, a typical automatic or a manual wind um, field watch with you know no date or or a date, you know, it might be cheaper than that. But for the chronographs, that seems to be kind of the sweet spot. And so I've been contacting all different sources, trying to find people who can work who can work on this watch. I've gone to Breitling. I've gone to um, you know the the most reputable watchmaker in in my city. And uh, you know it's either a, a matter of the price being too high or the workload being too long. You know I don't I don't want to wait six months to have this this watch come back to me. So I happened to find someone through my local Red Bar chapter that I'm a member of. He provided me a contact for a person in, in another state. And uh, I reached out to that person and, you know, he's got a uh, he's got pretty, pretty decent feedback. I checked his feedback to see what other people are saying about him. But he's kind of young. He's on the young side. OK, he's in his 20s and it makes me a little bit nervous. So I've never used him before. And I'm sending this watch to him, which which to me is like almost irreplaceable to do this work. He 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 doesn't charge nearly as much. It's, it's only going to cost me maybe around four hundred and fifty dollars to do. So it's a little bit um, makes me a little bit nervous sending this watch to him. But you know, I just have to I have to put faith in in him and in the work that he can do, and and hopefully it comes out good. But you know, again, um, you know, I, I don't I feel like I almost didn't have any any better options. It was either a, a matter of waiting six months or, or spending close to a thousand dollars or sometimes both. And, um, you know, if uh, you kind of have to look at, at other alternatives if, if uh, you want to get it done cheaper or you want to get it done quicker. Okay, guys. Well, that was uh, the end of our second podcast. I know we uh, there was a few little audio glitches there. So apologies about that. But as we as we go on this, and Steve will certainly be back on the uh, the podcast again, I'm hoping. 
Um, so we'll we'll certainly uh, you know improve over time and let us know what you think in the comments section down below. Did you enjoy this, uh, etc. So I just want to say a big thanks to uh, Steve for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely, Sam. I had a blast. Thank you. Well, I'll see you next time. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, and I'll see you all next time on Casual Watch Talk. Thanks, guys. Bye.